Hello, and welcome to the Stockout, the show at, at FreightWaves about CPG companies and their supply chain. CPG companies, those are, those are consumer packaged goods. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Bowden, just still at FreightWaves. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the biggest story in CPG during the past week, which I think was pretty clearly uh, Oatly's IPO. Oatly, the big uh, maker of uh, milk alternatives, a non-dairy-based uh, uh, milk alternative. It has absolutely soared the past two days in the stock market after going public on Thursday morning. Um, I think it's an exciting company. I had fun uh, going through their uh, SEC filing, um, and it's just really exciting when a company is growing 100% you know, percent year over year, and, and maybe it'll be faster than that. With their with their huge advertising uh, push and all the notoriety notoriety they're getting, you know, this week. So I'm going to dive into Oatly, and I'm also going to discuss our latest uh, passport research report, which I spent a lot of time uh, this week uh, writing. And a lot of that is is really specific, uh, specifically relevant to CPG companies because we go into uh, refrigerated trucking, sort of how uh, the the sonar product, the data from the sonar product can help. Uh, you know, food companies specifically that move refrigerated uh, uh, products, um, you know, how, how they can utilize that data. So I'll talk a little bit about that, but I uh, would encourage you to read that uh, report. And then I'll talk about a couple other things in uh, the world of CPG, one of which is the retailers, uh, some of the big retailers reported earnings this week, Walmart and, and Target, and, and, you know, Target specifically have blowout uh, earnings, uh, sort of indicating that um, the consumer is healthy, and um, that uh, I think that's a good news, good news for for CPG companies. And then I'll also just touch on one other uh, topic in, in terms of uh, environmental friendliness, which I think uh, there's really uh, starting to be a packaging, you know, revolution. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, that with the use of less, you know, plastics. Um, uh, but first, before I talk about all of that, um, a word from our sponsor: trust the experts at Echo Global Logistics for all your freight, transportation, and CPG shipping needs. Whether you are a Fortune 100 CPG company or a specialty food manufacturer, Echo has solutions to fit your needs. With their dedicated team, as well as Echo Ship, a self-service shipping portal, allowing you to quote, book, ship, and track, Echo has you covered. Technology at your fingertips and ex experts by your side, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to find out how Echo can simplify your transportation management, please visit www.echo.com forward slash CPG. Visit that today. So big thanks to Echo Global Logistics for sponsoring our uh, the Stockout CPG uh, podcast and show. Um, but I'll get started with with Oatly. So Oatly, if you haven't been following this this this, this week, um, pretty pretty exciting. Uh, went public Thursday morning, and we sort of got the indication before it went public that this was gonna it was gonna have a good week. Uh, it uh, it priced at the high end of its range. You know the 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 IPO range was fifteen dollars to seventeen dollars. It priced right at seventeen dollars, which you know indicates that the you know, brokerage firms that were taking it public was getting a lot of interest from institutional investors, and it was oversubscribed. So all of a sudden, you know that's a, a positive indicator. And then, uh, you know, went public Thursday morning. It got a 19% uh, pop uh, yesterday and then is up another 9% today to bring it to $22 a share. Um, so some of those celebrity investors that got in about 10 months ago um, have made, uh, by my rough calculations, about six and a half times uh, their money. This takes the valuation to $13 billion. 
So you look at, you know, what a comparable, you know, sort of companies, you know, are, and, and there's really not a lot um, that you really would say that's, you know, uh, similar to, to Oatly. And, and maybe I should spend a minute just, you know, talking, you know, describing who Oatly is. Uh, they are um, you know, a company that makes products that are alternatives to dairy-based, you know, products. So their main product is a milk alternative that uses oats, and uh, they have various other um you know, products that are, that are dairy-based alternatives, so, you know, like you know, ice cream and, 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 and so forth. And, 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 you know, basically what you think of as dairy, they're substituting, you know, oats for the, the cow. So they're, they're big on, you know, not, you know, having, you know, the cow and, and any, uh, you know, portion of, you know, portion of it. And it sort of is similar in, in some senses to some of the other, you know, companies that I've been talking about here recently. I mean, I'm trying to find trends in CPG that uh, I find, that are interesting because CPG tends to be a slow growth industry, it tends to, you know, go, sort of grow GDP minus usually, um, and, and sort of more based on population growth. Uh, but, but, you know, oat milk, um, you know, is one of those areas that is, is, is really hot right now. So this takes the, the valuation uh, uh, up to $13 billion. If you look at sort of a, a similar, you know, company that you might think, well, this is an alternative uh, food type company would be beyond meat. And it's a, it's a little more than double, uh, beyond meats, you know, market cap. So, um, you know, Oatly, uh, you know, investors have been very, very, you know, receptive to it. I think, you know, maybe one of the differences is that there's less, uh, you know, competition. It was Oatly is maybe swimming in a blue ocean a little bit more than than Beyond Meat is. Uh, you know, Beyond Meat, you know, people. One of the, the investor concerns has been um, the the competition from Impossible as well as competition from. Uh, you know, other um, established meat companies that are coming out with some of their own, you know, alternative, uh, you know, hamburgers and, and other uh, type type meats. But, you know, Oatly, um, you know, they've shown in other markets that, um, you know, they uh, can can dominate a market or, you know, be at least the the, the largest the largest player. Um, do you think it could get to be, um, you know, a controversial name? Will you'll have investors on you know, both sides of it, um, because it's, it's one of these companies that's, you know, growing very quickly, you know, losing, uh, you know, losing money. I think that a lot of that's by, by design. Um, but I think you'll definitely have lots of people on, on both sides of this one, just like you've had people, a lot of people on both sides of, uh, of, of beyond me on both sides of that trade. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting one to watch. Um, you know, a couple of highlights from the, um, the SEC filing is, you know, last year the company's revenue more than doubled. It went from about two hundred million dollars to four hundred and twenty-one million dollars. And one of the surprising things is, you know, even though it's it's in this you know hyper fast you know growth mode, it's not exactly an overnight success. It was founded in nineteen ninety, and uh, it's a Swedish company. And for a long time, it um, you know the only people who sort of knew about it were. Uh, you know, or, or knew about oat milk at all, were lactose intolerant or, you know, vegan or for, for some reason avoided, avoided dairy. Um, but it's, lately it's, it's really um, sort of, you know, gained a lot of traction. And uh, sort of another financial highlight here is that uh, it went from losing in, in 2019 when the company um, you know, had $200 million in revenue, uh, the, it lost, you know, 39, $35 million net loss in, 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 20, in 2019. And that expanded to a $60 million uh, net loss in, um, in, in 2020 with that $421 million in revenue. So the losses are getting wider. And I think that's by design. Um, you know, the, the news articles that, you know, sort of touted that as, as being a risk, of course, it's a, of course, it's a risk, but I think 
that the idea is to grow the revenue um, as fast as possible, get people in the habit of uh, of changing their habit and, and, and getting getting them you know used to to, to oat milk. Um, and, and right now, you're seeing their advertisements um, you know pretty much everywhere. You may remember the sort of Super Bowl ad where their CEO was singing "Wow, No Cow" in a field of oats. Not a very good singer. Some people hated the the, the advertisement, but uh, it sure got your attention. And um, you know now it, it seems like you can't go you know anywhere without seeing some of their advertisements. And they've had a really aggressive you know advertising campaign. Uh, that's um, what you're looking at. There is one of their main. Uh, you know, advertisements where it says it's like milk, but made for humans. I think there, you know, that might be a picture of London there, but there's uh, the same one right next to, you know, where I live in, in Dallas and um, sort of gets you thinking, okay, well, um, you know, maybe milk, you know, isn't made for, for humans, made for baby cows and we should be drinking something else. And I think it, it sort of gets people's attention. They have a lot of ads, you know, s- sort of around that, um, you know, they, you know, they, they revamped their, their advertising campaign in, in, in recent years and have done a lot of just really, you know, things that are aggressive in ads. And, you know, one of those things was they were sued by the Swedish milk lobby, which, you know, they will describe it as being kind of like one of those, you know, lobbying efforts that's similar to like the, the guns in the, in the, in the U S or to, you know, big tobacco in the U S that, you know, is really, um, you know, aggressive, um, and, 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 um, really aggressive, you know, uh, lawyers and, and, and things. And, you know what they did was that you know they got this this lawsuit from you know the the establishment in Sweden and the, the milk community and it basically claimed that they were misleading consumers with their advertisements because they had a, a cow and they, they didn't think that you know, said that well the consumers wouldn't understand that this is not milk from a cow it was pretty ridiculous and um, what they did was they took the uh, you know, so the forms they got uh, from that that lawsuit and they they pub- they bought ad space and they published. Um, the lawsuit that um, was filed against them and, uh, you know, in newspapers and magazines and things. And it really won them a lot of fans because people could look for themselves to see, um, you know, how silly some of these, you know, some of these things are. Um, uh, and, and, and so they've really sort of plastered, um, you know, the, the, the world with, with, with some of these ads. But, you know, the, the company's you know, ethos is environmental friendliness. Um, you know, I think a big part of that is, you know, there's a lot of, of energy that goes into, you know, milk production. And when you think about oats, uh, you know, they're a low input crop, which uses fewer, you know, resources, um, you know, in the agricultural stage, you know, f- you know, it allows for the possibility of crop rotation and oats have, you know, longer, you know, shelf life than, than, than dairy is another, you know, big, big advantage. And, uh, you know, oats can be farmed all over the world. And, and so, the sort of the idea is when, you know, the, the portion of their SEC filing was talking about their supply chains, you know, they really want to be able to locally source as many um, materials as possible. So you may get a little bit, um, seems like you may get a little bit of a different product, you know, depending on, on, what, on, on what region that you're in. But I think that that goes for both, you know, the ingredients and as, as well as, um, you know, the, 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 the packaging. So they're clearly going after the you know, clientele that they, they, that cares about the environment. I think, you know, the, the investors that are going to be attracted to this are, are ones that are maybe, um, you know, it could be perfect for a, an ESG portfolio. Um, you know, there are some portfolios that are, you know, specifically invest in companies that are, are green. Um, but here, I've got a couple of bullets points here where, you know, what, what's the bull argument for, for, for Oatly? 
Um, and I think the bull argument for Oatly, uh, in a sense, is look how great they've done in their home country of Sweden. In Sweden, oat milk is the biggest milk alternative. It's about 70% of any sort of uh, dairy alternative is milk. It's, it's you know, far bigger market share than, than almond, soy, et cetera. And within that market, uh, Oatly has a 50% market share. And so they've uh, demonstrated in, in a small market, their home market, that uh, they're able to command um, you know, a, a large portion of the market and the potential that you know, oat milk grows where Oatly goes, essentially. So as they go into other countries, you know, you know, companies will, consumers will start drinking you know, oat milk, using oat milk in their cereals, uh, using oat milk in their coffee, which is, um, you know, they recently struck up a deal with Starbucks and you can get these at, at sort of basically, I think any Starbucks location now. And, and, and uh, Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, was one of the big, you know, backers in, 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 in this company. So consumers are going to get more interested and more, more used to this, um, you know, more, more, more interested in this. And so you would expect oat milk to take share from, from almond milk, which is bigger in the U.S. than oat milk is currently. And so the, the market for oat milk, oat milk will expand and then, you know, Oatly will be the dominant player, you know, there too. And, you know, there's a lot of, of runway, you know, for growth. Um, and then another, you know, point here is it's just the environmental concerns are getting bigger and bigger. You know, you don't, we don't know what's coming down the pipe with uh, uh, taxes for on, on carbon, um, you know, that's, I think, a, a risk to the, maybe the establishment. And, um, you know, the, the Oatly, because it's such a big part of their ethos, is environmentally friend, environmental friendliness. They actually have the carbon footprint labeling on the packaging, similar to you would have, a, you know, a nutritional, you know, a labeling on the packaging. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And then I also think uh, on the bull side, that there's a takeover, you know, premium um, that's going to be with the stock for some time. I think there's a possibility that this company gets acquired by one of the big established food names. And the reason I say that is when you go through, you know, the financials of, um, let's say, a Nestle or one of these you know, big um, packaged food companies, they are expanding into the markets in packaged food that are faster growing. So, those are, are, you know, would include pet food. They would include anything that's, you know, healthy, that's organic. Um, you know, Nestle, for instance, acquired, you know, Persona, you know, vitamins. Um, so th those are the, some of the faster growing areas of the market are these, you know, better for you products, better for the environment products. And, um, you know, the companies have been, the, the big food companies have made, been making a push to expand into those markets and to divest, you know, some of the slower growth markets that are growing less than the, the overall um you know, rate of uh, you know consumption. You know things like uh, you know Nestle selling its you know confection uh, you know you know business. So um, I, I think that's going to keep uh, you know shares potentially keep shares high with with the, with the takeover premium. The bear argument is that there's a lot of hype in the valuation, and if you were to you know just look at a, a, you know how do you, how do you value this company, you know it, it's it's tricky. I mean now that we're at a 13 billion dollar market cap, and you know I just just told you it was about 400 million in sales. That's uh, 30 times, you know, revenue. So that's that's one heck of a of a multiple, even for a company that's growing very quickly. Um, and you look at, at at just how quickly that valuation has grown. Uh, Ten months ago, that that latest round of um, of, of funding, which involved you know those celebrities that bought in, uh, that was about a two billion dollar valuation. So it's gone up, let's call it, you know, six and a half. Uh, times um, in, in in ten months, and you know how possibly could it be more, you know valuable that much more valuable in, in, in that period of 
of, of, of time. Um, the other uh, sort of bear argument was, you know, this is a mar- this is the market here is going to be limited to, uh, for lack of a better term, hipsters, you know, people that are you know huge on the environment, consumers willing to pay a premium, um, and and that's not necessarily um, you know everyone. So I think there's you know some arguments on 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 both sides, and the other the other bear case is that the big food companies will come in and compete heavily with them. I just saw you know a couple of the newsletters I subscribe to um, that deal with food. Uh, they just rolled out, um, you know, new, you know, food food products. Some of the companies have, um, so there's it's going to be a, a crowded space. What you're looking at this on, on a screen now is a research report that um, I worked with uh, my colleague Tony Mulvey on. Uh, we we wrote 15 pages, which you know maybe it was might have been too many, but um, I, a, a report on refrigerated food. Um, so we we titled this. Um, this this paper cold comfort you know companies can benefit from using real data reefer data so it's refrigerated trucking data as their cost for freight and everything else rise and so the reason I, I called it a cold comfort is that um, you know we're making the argument that they can you can take the data that we have in sonar you know use it to your advantage to mitigate to hopefully help mitigate some of these rising transportation costs it may be cold comfort you know, from the perspective of a food company or refrigerated shipper, when your transportation costs are rising, your labor costs are rising, your packaging costs are rising, all of these things. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a difficult situation. I go through in that report, talk about, you know, the challenges that food companies are facing. I talk about the challenging challenges of, uh, you know, shipping refrigerated uh, uh, goods as opposed to, to dry goods. There's a number of, um, you know, greater advantage, uh, greater challenges there with you know refer things like uh, greater lane imbalance um, and uh, and and just right now just just higher rates and higher tender rejection um, you know costs um, on the right side of that uh, of that of that screen you know talk about uh, you know some of the, the ways that we sort of you know, get there in terms of uh, lear- learning about the reefer market um, you know finding data in, in reefer that we have in sonar that can help uh, a food packaged uh, packaged food company you know some of them are, are sort of our traditional. Uh, metrics like um, the electronic you know, tender data, where we're looking at you know tender rejections or refer you know refer companies rejecting you know loads inbound and outbound uh, you know in in every market in the United States. We're also looking at transactional data for completed loads, um, which is a data source where we can you know look at the contracted rates and then uh, a shipper can benchmark against those against his own rates and see you know which lanes he's paying above market. Um, which which lanes he's playing paying below market specifically in 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 reefer um, so um, can determine which lanes you know may need some adjustment there. We also have predictive spot rates, which is is has been you know something that has sort of confounded the uh, transportation industry for for a long time. It's difficult to predict you know what the spot rate is going to be on any particular day. We do have an algorithm you know for that that um, you know uses a lot of the historical you know trends where you know spot rates do tend to be sort of mean reverting. They get you know overheated and then they they, they sort of go the other the other way, uh, which would indicate that right now the spot rates are on, on the high side. We also have a lot of data in there on uh, carrier performance, and um, you know I think that helps food companies in negotiations to see you know just how the the trucking companies that ship reefer goods are performing, which is difficult to see from just looking at data um, from the publicly traded carriers because those do not represent the industry as a whole, and there, and there aren't very many of them. There's really just the just the one. We also have load board data, lots of lots of data to see you know where 
um, loads are falling through the routing guide and you know what the market clearing you know, price you know is. Uh, some of the other key findings that we had in the reports is you know we estimate that transportation costs are around uh, let's call it five percent of of companies you know, cost of goods sold they get included in the in the cost of goods sold on in in the income statement and um, you know there's a wide range of uh, you, know, you know companies in packaged food have really have a wide range of of, of margins the the ones that have the name you know household name brands you know when you think about you know Nestle or or or, or Mondelez or or some of these others that um, you know have you know you know Pepsi like you know their products, you know, you have the really strong you know, brand names that, that everyone knows, you know, a lot of those companies can earn margins that are, you know, gross margins that are 40% to over, over 50%. Um, whereas some of the, um, you know, food companies that are like a, like a Tyson or JBS that, uh, you know, do the, the, um, the, you know, meats, their margins are more in that 11, 12, 13% range. So you sort of think, okay, you know, who's going to have the biggest impact of, of taking freight out, freight out of their costs. I, I do think it's a lot of those, Lower margin, you know, companies that you know, you know, that where the 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 cost uh, to move the, the the goods is you know a larger percentage of uh, of their of their revenue because they don't have the, the don't have the wide margin. So I think uh, you know, food company or uh, meat companies specifically within food are, are some of the ones that have the most to gain, um, you know, from using some of our data. Um, and should mention if if anyone you know does want a copy of that report, happy to send it to you. Um, just shoot me an email at mbowdendistal at uh, freightwaves dot uh, com. Um, so move on from 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 that. Uh, just a couple other things that that caught my attention this week in the world of CPG. Um, actually, this one is a little bit more um, you know Andrew Cox's area in retail. Um, so most of the CPG companies have already reported their earnings. They reported their first quarter in let's call it about a month ago. Uh, but uh, the retailers do things a little bit differently because of, of the January returns. They tend to report about a month later. And so this uh, week we saw, you know, Walmart report, Target report, you know, a couple others. The one that really sort of stood out to me was Target, which is good news for CPG companies that sell into Target. Their comparable sales up 23%. That's on top of 11% growth a year ago. So growing very quickly. You know, don't seem to be you know s- slowing as they start to lap more difficult you know comps as people rushed out um, you know at this time last year to fill up their, their 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 pantries. But you know what's interesting too is their their e-commerce growth is still very strong. It was up fifty percent, and that was on top of one hundred and forty-one percent e-commerce growth a year ago. Um, and Target's uh, you know e-commerce approach is a little bit different. They you know have the stores as at the center of their multimodal strategy. So. Uh, 95% of the company's e-commerce was fulfilled by store assets that were already in inventory. So I think um, you know, maybe the thought that everyone that shops online wants their products delivered in a brown box in one hour from Amazon is, is maybe you know, not accurate. And um, you know, most people every day they drive past you know, two or three um, you know, big box retailers, and maybe it's just as easy to pull into a certain lane and pop your trunk, and someone puts the the, the things that you ordered, you know, in your in your trunk, and um, maybe that's actually more, um, you know, e- easier for consumers who you know may not be home all the time or have someone to collect the the, the package. Um, another another highlight from from uh, uh, Target, their their same store sales um, are expected to grow mid to high single digits going forward. So that is. 
uh, an expectation that the consumer is going to continue to be strong, continue to spend, um, you know, even as uh, people you know get out of their house and you know go travel. Um, was at Dallas Love Field yesterday, and it was probably the busiest I've ever seen it. It was hard to uh, to find a, a, a you know, space in the parking lot; they were almost all filled. So people are back to traveling. Uh, it's not coming; it's it's here. Um, and then one, I'll give you one uh, maybe negative for some of the CPG companies that may be listening uh, from the Target uh, report is that private label, their private label, which they've had a lot of success with, um, has, has been growing in sort of the high 30% range. I think it was, it was up 38%. So you sort of compare that to the comparable sales of, of 23% for the company overall. They, they are having a lot of success with their, um, with their private label uh, you know, brands. So that, um, you know, could, is something to watch, you know, going forward, uh, because the national brands did take a lot of share from private label in 2020. Um, we'll see if, if, it, if it goes back the other way, uh, the next, you know, uh, you know, year or so. Uh, the last topic I have for you today, um, as, uh, we have a, just a couple of minutes left is, uh, also is also related to sustainability, which I think is going to be, you know, huge, uh, for CPG going forward. Um, it, it, and that's in the, the side of, uh, packaging. Uh, so Unilever announced this week that they're going to convert its global, um, toothpaste portfolio to using recyclable tubes by 2025. So, um, and, and sort of rolling this out uh, gradually, um, but they've been working on a tube for the last four years that uh, instead of using um, a combination of plastics and aluminum that's difficult to recycle, which is why we all throw out our um, you know, toothpaste tube, they're working on one with high density polyethylene HPDE. This is gonna be easier to you know, recycle, uses a lot less plastic, and they're making this design available for competitors to use, um, you know, presumably because uh, they want uh, the environmental impact to, um, you know, throughout the industry. Uh, and so this sort of expands upon this company's, uh, you know, Unilever's existing push to reduce plastic use. Um, you know, sort of they recognize that you know, plastic uh, usage, you know, in, in itself is um, maybe one of the least environmentally friendly, you know, ways to, to to package something. You know, they have a plan to reduce the amount of virgin plastic they use uh, uh, from 2020 to 2025 by half. Um, and the company is using at least 25% of recycled uh plastic and its packaging. So really, um, you know, making a pretty big push there. They've also launched a toothbrush that uses 100% recycled plastic um, and 40% less total plastic than traditional toothbrushes. So you may get to the point where you can barely feel your toothbrush because there's going to be, you know, they're so light, but, you know, there's a good reason for that, um, you know, because it's, it's more environmentally uh, friendly. One that I thought was interesting is they've also teamed up with Beer and spirits producer Diageo, which is known for, you know, those liquor brands like Johnny Walker, um, and essentially using bottles that are, are essentially paper bottles. They're they're um, made with recycled, you know, wood products. So those are an alternative to using, you know, bottles that are, um, you know, made out of of, of plastic. Um, and then on the intermodal side, uh, you know, Unilever is a huge user of intermodal which is what they use for most of their domestic um, surface transportation, uh, which you know is has about 50 percent of the fuel surcharges truck. It usually saves shippers 10 to 15 percent off of their freight bill. And um, what I've been impressed with um, in terms of Unilever's use of intermodal is that um, my understanding is that they use intermodal in a lot of lanes that are not real dense. 
and not traditionally what you would think of with intermodal. With intermodal, you tend to think of these you know, big corridors, LA to Chicago, which is the, the biggest lane, LA to Dallas, which is the second biggest lane. But they use it in lanes like St. Louis to Jacksonville, where there's not a lot of density there, um, but they're, they're, they're willing, because a lot of their, their goods are not time sensitive, they um, have, have been uh, you know, using those heavily in you know, very, very secondary uh, you know, lanes. And, and so it, it does uh, you know, seem to, um, you know, I think, lend a lot of credibility to their environmental efforts uh, you know, when, when, when they uh, you know, ship intermodally in, in, in some of those lanes that, are, that you, know, you would think would be truck lanes. So um, uh, a lot, a lot there uh, this week in terms of environmental um, you know, impact, and um, that's really uh, about all the time that, that we have. But um, you know, if you're interested in, in these type of topics, uh, please go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. Um, I do a newsletter um, you know, each week, you know, talking about uh, you know CPG companies and uh, what's happening with their supply chains. And uh, feel free to send me an email at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com um, if you want to touch base, if there's topics you think I should cover, um, if you want to learn more about you know, sonar or freight waves, uh, feel free to reach out uh, anytime. So with that, hope everyone has a great weekend. 